Welcome to Addicted on 103.2 Dublin City FM. You can email the show to addicted at dublincityfm.ie or call the show or text us on 087-977-1032. My name is Tom O'Brien and I'm the presenter of Addicted, a weekly programme exploring addiction and recovery in Ireland. Our guest today is Dr. Colin O'Gara, who is a consultant psychiatrist at St. John God's Hospital and a senior clinical lecturer at UCD. Today, uh, Colin is going to explore with us the, some of the issues around uh, gambling addiction. Welcome, Colin. Good afternoon, Tom. So, uh, did I get your details there right? You're a consultant psychiatrist working right. at St. John of God's. That's right. How long are you based there, Colin? I've been here since uh, 2007, Tom, and um, I'm also uh, working in research at UCG. So, um, we certainly get to see um, a wide variety of addiction uh, presentations here at the hospital, but um, uh, in particular, we probably get um, a, uh, a lot of gambling referrals as well, you know. But, but I think the, the overall point to make to you um, initially would be that there's very uh, few gambling presentations actually present uh, for treatment in comparison to other addictions. So, uh, as we know, there's a large problem with alcohol and um, various other substances. Um, but this, as a process addiction, is um, the data would show that very few people actually present to treatment. And that would be very much reflected in our treatment centre. So there's probably, although we see you know considerable amount of, of gambling probably compared to other treatment centres, um, we still, it's still only about 10 to 20% of our overall presentations here at the hospital. Okay. I was doing a bit of research today for the show, and there's a website, uh, gambleaware.ie, and they have some figures there um, estimating in Ireland that there'd be an estimated population of about 28,000 people who would have a gambling uh, issue. But uh, again, I suppose people aren't presenting and I wonder why is that? Well, again, that's an estimate, Tom. Um, the I would suggest that, I mean, you've got to categorise down what exactly is a gambling problem. So um, the British data would suggest um, at-risk gambling, um, and, and I'll, t- I'll get to, to exactly what that is, but about 5 to 7% would be uh, in an at-risk group, and then maybe about point six to one percent being having a pathological problem now the at risk would be people who intend to go out and gamble and spend a particular amount of money on it and they lose control Um, now when i say lose control it's probably um come back uh without you know having a complete wipeout with regards to their finances um, and there's also uh, implications for their um, personal life. They may be uh, more uh, depressed or they may be more anxious, more irritable at home, and they, you may see uh, an increased primacy or salience of, the, of what we call salience of the activity, so there's a decline of their other interests. And um, uh, so, so, so that would be the kind of at-risk group. The pathological group um, are just, so much worse um so if you know these people would present with significant um problems with finances significant work problems significant home problems 
some, sometimes to, to the point that they just carry, can't carry on. The finances are completely destroyed and they may have lost a job and that type of thing. So if you put all of that together, I think you're probably talking about 10 times what you've probably uh, just mentioned. You're probably talking... Um, you know, well over 100,000 anyway. That's the, the wider group of people who are at risk. Yeah, yeah. And then within yeah. that then. So I suppose uh, how, what happens uh, for the people that can maintain that control? Again, there was figures there estimated that in Ireland uh, uh, there's 5 billion per year uh, yeah. spent on gambling, which is about four fourteen 14 million per day. So mm-hmm. obviously uh, there's a lot of people maybe playing the national lotto or going to the local bookies. Um, so I imagine that there's a lot of people that can maintain uh, maintain a certain gambling habit within that general population of gamblers. But when and what are the issues that cause people to move towards the more pathological uh, loss of control, I suppose? Ultimately... Um there is an at-risk group. That's um, there is no question about that from a medical point of view. Um, we know now that gambling disorder is a medical condition. Uh, those of us who have worked with it for quite some time uh, would have thought that anyway. But in May of last year, the American Psychiatric uh, Association in the um, uh, in the U.S. Um, we're very clear that, you know, based on scientific findings and based on um, clinical findings, that we could now classify gambling as a medical uh, illness. And, you know, that's, that's, that's quite an important uh, statement because it's the first time that a process addiction or an addiction where there isn't uh, the use of a substance has been classified in that regard. There are other process addictions out there, such as uh, sexual addiction, um, and internet overuse, which were also considered for classification and didn't meet the, the criteria at the time, and the, the various working groups and the tens of thousands of, of clinicians and sufferers and people around the world that contributed to the classification, um, you know, that didn't lead to um, the other um, process issues being uh, considered uh, diagnoses, but... Uh, my prediction is that um, you certainly see internet use disorder and time becoming a, a, a classified disorder. And all of this, Tom, is based on the fact that there is clear scientific evidence um, to classify um, you know, the problem as a medical disorder. If you want me to expand on that a little bit, I can at this point. Yeah, I suppose, um, that what, like, uh, what, what are the implications then of gambling being classified as a medical condition uh, yeah. in terms of Ireland? Um, and again, if there's a large number of people in the population who are in the at-risk group, uh, what I'm interested in is when, when does somebody become at risk? What is the process of moving sure. from... The, the, is there stages moving from of course yeah the, yeah yeah so there is the the natural progression is from normal whatever normal is considered so somebody is gambling in a way that is not causing them difficulty and we can't deny that there is a large uh, proportion of those people who gamble you know most likely the vast majority of people will do that and won't have a problem so we're talking 10 to 20 percent perhaps a little bit more um who will 
be at, you know, who will gamble and then run into difficulties over their lifetime. So the progression would be from so-called normal into at-risk and then into compulsive gambling or pathological gambling. And that process mirrors the process in any addiction, such as alcohol addiction or substance addiction, where there is uh, what's considered normal intake, then on to a uh, more compulsive um, intake of the substance as the brain changes uh, at a molecular level and you, you get dysfunction of the brain leading to this behavioral compulsivity. Mm-hmm. And really it's, it's the work, the scientific work that's been done from a genetic point of view by placing people in MRI scanners and being able to demonstrate the type of um, differences between people who have a problem with gambling and don't, um, and doing psychological tests or batteries of psychological tests. When you combine those three approaches, you see a convergence of evidence around particular areas of the brain that we know are associated with addiction. So areas towards the front of the brain called the orbitofrontal cortices are specifically involved with risk processing and making decisions around what is safe and what is not not safe with regards to gambling. So for instance, somebody who's at a casino table and who has already lost a lot of money um, Somebody who has a, a problem in their orbital frontal cortex, which can be shown on uh, an MRI scanner versus a control, you can do genetic tests, which indicate that there are um, changes in their genetic code compared to other people. And if you do psychological battery, a battery of psychological tests, again, the, these people will have different tests, a problem gambler or a pathological gambler will have different results to people um, who, who don't have a problem. And really, uh, it is based around that idea of compulsivity and impulsivity that lead people to make risky, um, unhealthy decisions around, um, in the case of gambling, it's around um, money, essentially, mm-hmm. and their ability to, um, to win, um, in the case of other addictions, um, it is the same pathology, but it's around continued, continuing to take the substance in the face of adverse consequences. Okay. And I'm wondering then, is there people uh, who are at risk and moving towards the sort of losing control in gambling? Are there other factors, uh, you know, is there socioeconomic factors that affect people or uh people that have lost their jobs uh, or someone that's bereaved, are there factors that increase the speed at which people move in that direction or is it just uh, the continued desire to win despite increasing losses and loss of control? Sure, sure. There are various theories, Tom, on that. For me, there is no question that um, the environment plays a role. I think most... um, people would agree with that. I mean, if the environment is is in such a way that it's going to increase the the possibility of somebody going from normal to pathological use of anything, um, you know, uh, and and there are certainly studies with regards to the influences, particularly in adolescence, around the development of um, uh, full addictive states from a um, normal use pattern. So certainly... um, Psych, what we call psychosocial stressors, the ones you refer to, like mm-hmm. life events, negative life events. Um, and, you know, we would have uh, observed this over the last few years with regards to people being under financial difficulty, 
and then um, you know taking chances where they wouldn't ordinarily do that based on financial problems. Okay. And so, uh, what then the pe- the people that are presenting to St John God's Hospital? Um, uh, is it a kind of a broad range of people from yeah. all sectors of society, or? Um, we are a private facility, so we deal um, with individuals with health insurance. So that would be the socio-demographic initially. The presentations are from people from all over Ireland, and the um, the presentations for gambling are quite varied. Um, the main one, because we're a psychiatric hospital, is is would be gambling disorder with a comorbid psychiatric problem. Now, the um, co-occurrence of psychiatric issues with gambling is very common, anything up to um, 40%. Some would argue it's even higher. Some say that, uh, you know, most addictive states are um, accompanied by a psychiatric problem, perhaps up to 80% of addictive cases. So to give you some examples, I mean, we would uh, deal with people who have a gambling problem but also are very depressed. People who have a gambling problem are also very anxious. Um, People who um, have a gambling problem and are also elated or hypomanic. Um, And people who have a gambling problem and are suicidal. They'd be the main presentations from the psychiatric spectrum. In addition, um, from a uh, just... Besides that, we would see people who've, be, who've lost money in, in various situations, as you could expect. Um, the first um, example would be somebody who has lost their own money, and that can vary from an individual who, for instance, a student who has lost several thousand euro, that to them is a huge amount of money versus somebody who um, you know, had millions, for instance, and has lost um, most of that millions, perhaps. Um, the second category for people who've lost money is they've lost money on behalf of their employer, um, and in you know that can be cases where people have stolen small amounts of money mm-hmm. um, up to very significant amounts of money. Um, but the end result is the same: is that it has led to somebody being apprehended because of that, and then they present to us with um, a realisation that they have a a, a gambling problem. Another category is um, a medical transfer from medical services or referral from medical services and people who are being treated for Parkinson's disease and being treated with drugs that affect the dopamine system. There is a uh, clear uh, increase in prevalence of individuals who have never had a problem with gambling before a lot of people in their uh, 60s and 70s who suddenly develop a problem with, with pathological gambling um, because of treatment with uh, Parkinson's disease drugs. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it, it has been reported in the literature and it's cer- certainly something that we, um, you know, we have experienced. Um, and I guess, Tom, what that demonstrates is it is a clear, another clear indication of the medical basis or the neurobiological basis of uh, gambling which you know again there are very various theories on that we don't know exactly what you know the neurochemical correlates of gambling are but we know that it falls into the OCD spectrum the obsessive compulsive spectrum 
and we know that uh, serotonergic agents such as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, otherwise known as common antidepressants, work uh, in the treatment of both OCD but also have an effect in gambling in treating probably deficits in the serotonin system but also uh, may affect other things like impulsivity. But the key issue in Parkinson's disease is dopamine. And dopamine is very well described as a, as a key player in um, the neurobiology of addiction. The um, idea around people being given drugs for Parkinson's is that there is a low level of dopamine and it needs to be boosted up. Mm-hmm. These drugs are called dopamine agonists. Um, one of the side effects is gambling or the development of a gambling problem that wasn't already there. Okay. So um, that's another category. And the last category is um, the crossover into um, people who present with difficulties with their uh, personality, otherwise known as personality disorder, and the co-occurrence of um, gambling disorder. So there are the various categories. We're going to just take a short break for a piece of music now. Welcome back. You're listening to Addicted on 103.2 Dublin City FM, and I'm talking to Dr. Colin O'Gara from the St. John God's Hospital in uh, Stillorgan. So welcome back, uh, Colin. Uh, Just before the break there, you were profiling the, the, I suppose, the medical condition of uh, gambling and the issue about Parkinson's disease treatments and how that can be increased risk factors. Very interesting. So when people do present then, and obviously there's uh, other issues, as you mentioned, like depression and other mental health issues that people can have, What's, what approach to treatment is there for, for people that present? Okay, the, the first thing that we would do, Tom, is that we would look to remove uh, the person from perhaps the device or the environment that they have been uh, engaging in gambling. So for a lot of people, it is merely a smartphone. So all of the gambling has occurred on the smartphone. So these individuals will never have set foot in a traditional bookmaker or have uh, conducted any other form of gambling. So for that individual, obviously it's very important to um, uh, take away that means of gambling for a period of time. Now, obviously, that's not pragmatic long-term, so a contract or a um, collaboration has to be commenced with regards to how that's going to work in future, and that's done through working with a key worker in the hospital who works on a daily basis, on a one-to-one basis so with this the person. Is, the person is, is a resi- in residential treatment for this at, at that stage? Yeah, that's, that's the initial phase. It, it's not necessary for somebody to come into the uh, inpatient setting, just clarify that. People can attend for outpatient treatment, but if it's if the condition is severe, for me the optimal you know uh, you know choice is to try and detox somebody as you would with uh, a substance. You know again that concept of detoxing somebody when mm-hmm. there isn't something to detox from, but you're detoxing from the behaviour. So you know that's 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 a critical concept, and it's one that we apply all the time. Um, it is very important. We see the same thing in uh, Japan, for instance, in teenagers. Uh, who are using the internet for, you know, clearly addicted to the internet, gaming, they'll go into what what they call fasting camps. So it's just literally keeping them away from um, the uh, behavior. The length of time on that varies. It It can be anything from, you know, a week to several weeks, and it depends on again, on the person's life and what kind of um, things they have to do outside of the um, detox facility. 
But that's certainly the first thing, is to get people away from, from the means of gambling. Mm-hmm. Once that, that phase is over, you're really into looking at um, a variety of treatments, all of which have shown to be effective to some degree. There's debate as to how effective they are, and they're the similar treatments to um, treating other addictions, um, the substance addictions. So the first approach is um, psychological therapies. Group therapy in the inpatient setting is something that's useful. What you see in Ireland, because there are no dedicated treatment centres to gambling uh, disorder, you have people um, uh, brought into general groups for addiction, which isn't necessarily a problem, in my view. It can work well. Some will argue that it doesn't work well because it's not specifically related to the gambling disorder. But I think when it's combined with other approaches, in my view, it's sufficient. The other approaches are individual therapies, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, which looks at addressing um, faulty cognitions or cognitive distortions. These are the way people think that make them gamble in an unhealthy way, such as uh, this idea that they're going to win no matter what, or the look is on their side, or that a series of losses is inevitably going to lead to a win. It's called gambler's fallacy. The other approaches are motivational interviewing, which is looking at working with the person in a non-confrontational way uh, to get them to um, look at the ways that they can change their behaviors by looking at the negatives and the positives of of, uh, changing their behavior. And the final um, psychological input is 12-step facilitation or Minnesota uh, approach or AA-based uh, input, which can be facilitated in the inpatient setting, but also occurs outside, critically in uh, Gamblers Anonymous. So um, they're the psychological therapies. Just if, if I could mention GA, which is probably um, the standout uh, psychological treatment um, for gambling and has proven to be effective. People's active involvement in GA increases their chances of doing well, and if people combine GA with an inpatient treatment program, they do better again. So um, it's uh, accessible here in Dublin. There's a very strong GA movement, um, in Dublin city centre in particular, but also in, in the surrounds. And um, in my opinion, you know, if somebody listening today is looking what's the first thing they should do, certainly getting yourself to a GA meeting would be um, probably the best thing that you could do. Um, outside of the psychological approaches, we'd be looking at medic- medication. Again, coming back to what I was saying earlier, gambling disorder is a medical condition characterized by a number of neurobiological issues, and it really depends on what you believe the neurobiological issues are will dictate how you treat it. People have decided in the past that there's an issue with the serotonin system. Therefore, serotonin agents have been used to some success. Mm. The effect sizes are not huge, so treating with medication alone is probably not the best approach. Similarly, opioid antagonists, which work on the opioid system, the opioid system, opioids are morphine, heroin, drugs like that, but we also release these um, neurochemicals uh, ourselves and our bodies, particularly in our brains, and they are um, thought to be involved in particularly in craving. So if somebody has had a big win and they feel that um, they can do it again, 
that process is, is called the chase. Similarly, there can be a big loss, and somebody feels, I've got to win that money back. Again, that's chasing behavior, and the opioid system is thought to be believed, or, or involved in that. And the drug of choice that we use in that case is, is called uh, naltrexone. An alternative is nalfamine. Um, and these agents act by um, dampening down that opioid response in craving. So they're opioid blockers. Um, they are effective. Again, the effect size is debatable as to how effective they are. We typically use medication in the treatment of uh, problem and pathological gambling as an adjunct to other treatments, the ones that I've just outlined, the psychological therapies and GA. Okay. Colin, I think uh, we could talk on this topic for another hour at least, but unfortunately our time has, has come to an end for today. Um, that's been really interesting. You've covered the topic very well. I think uh, anyone who's listening, it's uh, some food for thought, and uh, you've emphasised there Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, you'll find it on on the web, I'm sure, if people do feel they, they want to look for help. And again, just want to thank Colin today, our guest. Uh, thank you very much, Colin. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to Addicted on Dublin City FM. Um, we're on every Monday at half twelve. So thanks for listening and uh, tune in next week. Mm-hmm.